This is the Band School Podcast, where we talk about business adventure and mission with your host, Buddy Rathmel. All right. Uh, welcome to the BAM School Podcast. I'm here with my guest, Bob Brown, who is the chairman and president of the American Asphalt Company. He has uh, bought or sold about 40 companies and has been in, involved in a lot of different industries. He is a, a member of the C12 group, and we actually met less than a week ago at a faith-driven entrepreneur event online. And um, one of the things I always appreciate is as people could get to the age in their 40s or 50s where they could coast and and kind of still do things well, that people that continue to to learn and grow and invest um, just continue to, to be able to pour out and do great things. So it was great to see um, Bob on that as well. And I'm just going to read a quick blurb from LinkedIn about Bob. He's an entrepreneur who has experience in fuel oil, gas stations, HVAC, auto parts, asphalt manufacturing, contracting, steel, and mill writing. And um, so I'm excited to dive into this podcast. One of the reasons that I asked Bob to be on the podcast is that he's direct about the fact that he is a believer running a company and that they run as a Christian culture. There's all kinds of people working there, but they understand they're coming to work at a place that is kind of run with biblical principles. So I'm really excited, Bob, to have that conversation today. Welcome to the BAM School podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be a guest. Yeah. So give us a little bit of your background. Where did you grow up? What was your family situation? Well, tell us a little bit about, about your growing up years. Well, um, I grew up locally in the same town that my uh, business was in. Uh, it was called Oakland, New Jersey, so a, a suburb of Philadelphia. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old, so my mother raised us. I had a visitation with my dad. Uh, I saw them as, as two different dynamics, but my mother gave us a loving home and plenty of encouragement that we could be anything we wanted to be. My dad was a businessman that later on, uh, when I got to my later teenage years, offered me employment, showed me how to run a business, and then backed me in my first business venture to go out and start a company when I was 19 years old. I didn't want to go to college anymore. I didn't like school. So he put up the capital, and I started an auto parts store, and that was my uh, journey into uh, having my own business. That's awesome. So, um, so you started with an auto parts store. That was your first business at 19. Well, they were grooming me in the family, uh, fuel oil HVAC business. Okay. Uh, and the accountants at the time advised my father that I wouldn't learn much about business by looking over his shoulder. And it was a smaller business. They had about 50 people. And they said the best way to teach the kid about business is let him run his own business. So yeah. uh, at the time I uh, was into cars and auto parts. I wanted to open up a speed shop. Uh, my father felt that wasn't as good of an idea as an auto parts uh, job where it's not just uh, gearheads that are dealing with you, which was good advice. And I could still sell speed shop and shiny wheels and that kind of stuff out of an auto parts store. But it was a great exercise to, I think his investment was like $50,000 to buy some inventory. I rented a store. It was my job to open it up, close it up, hire people, get customers, collect the money, manage inventory, all the things that you do in a lot of businesses. And it was on a smaller scale. So if I failed, the worst it could have been was 50 grand for him. Yeah. Uh, but I was able to self-sustain, pay myself, have the pride of ownership, 
learn responsibility, make some mistakes with hiring, firing, and collections and, and that type of thing. Um, and after I did that for four years, my father had a heart attack, and I got the phone call as you got to come over and run this oil business, uh, yeah. which was difficult at the time because I had my own business. I didn't want to give that up. That yeah. was what I was doing. Uh, but it was the natural attenuation of things. And later in life, I see it as God's plan to groom yeah. me and take me along. But at the time, it was you know, I tried to do both. I held on to the auto store, store, tried to run it absentee. That didn't work. And uh, I ended up in the in the family business. Yeah. Um, wow. What a so you were 23 when you took over the family business, 23, 24. That's correct. Young wow. and aggressive. And I grew it too fast. So uh, by the time I was 30, I had to sell it. So it was a a short journey. My dad gave me full control. He recovered and moved to Florida, uh, and he let me run with it. But I, I bought up four or five other uh, smaller oil businesses, folded it in, grew the workforce to about uh, 80 people, uh, built a new facility. I, I was just growing with leaps and bounds with the thought that I could continue on that trajectory, never thinking, what if times were tough? What if I lost money? What would I do? And yeah. In the winter of 85, it was a very mild winter. When it's not so cold out, people don't buy as much fuel oil. So my sales went down. I lost money on operations. The bank got nervous, said, you know, you got to raise some capital. And those are all thoughts that were foreign to me. I just thought I would win every time. Yeah. And uh, my dad gave me enough rope to hang myself. Uh, <laughs> and I had to, had, I didn't want to go bankrupt. That was distasteful to me. Yeah. I was a Christian back then, but not an outwardly Christian, but it just didn't feel right to me. So it was an, a better option to sell the company. Okay. And so when you sold, did you walk away with anything or did you just walk away with no debt or free and clear? Well, I wrote a little testimony about this on my webpage. I sold it and I got enough money at settlement to pay all my creditors. Yeah. But the money that was my father's and mine and I was buying my father's stock out over time. So I owed him money yeah. and whatever investment I had in there, we were going to get paid over five years. Once again, I was foolish enough to have negotiated a deal to get five equal annual payments. Yeah. So I didn't know the guy had no intention of paying me until one year in. So he wow. offered me a job as president to run a division and I took that, and within two months, I found that he was dishonest, and I couldn't work for him. I wasn't able to bend my morals to do what he wanted me to do. So yeah. I left, but with that, never got a dime, ended wow. up in litigation. Five years later, trying to chase my money, he filed bankruptcy, did everything he could do to, to keep me from collecting. So um, that put me unemployed and trying to find something to do with my life, and I didn't have any money. Uh, had three kids, a mortgage, um, and this asf little asphalt business was for sale. And the broker that had it listed for sale was the same broker I had used to sell my company. So he knew my heart. He knew my talent. He said, look, Bob, I can, you can get in this other business with very little money down. And I said, well, that's good because I have zero money. <laughs> uh, and what do I know about asphalt? I knew nothing. And he yeah. talked me into buying it, saying it's it's still truck drivers. It's it's just like uh, fuel oil, only it's thicker. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, so there was some humor and truth in it. But I basically was able to see my way fit to buy another business, start all over again, 
So I borrowed from every friend and relative that I knew, and I raised a hundred grand of uh, capital. Went to a bank, leveraged that, and the bank gave me the rest of the money I needed to put down and, and get started and get into the asphalt business. So I had four employees and less than a million in sales when I bought the business, and that's the only way I could have afforded it. Um, once again, hindsight, I bought a bunch of junk. If I knew what I was looking at, I should have never bought it. But I, once I committed, there was no turning back. I had hocked everything I had and borrowed on my name. So all I could do was work hard and, and make it make it a go. Yeah. And when you say you bought junk, was it like the customer list, the equipment? What was it that you felt like wasn't as advertised? Well, the heart of the business is an asphalt plant that actually manufactures blacktop. I looked at it and it was a giant erector set and looked like it was worth a lot of money to me, but I didn't know what I was buying. So the day after settlement, when I met the employees for the first time and, and the seller didn't want me to meet him ahead of time out of fear they may quit, probably also the fear they may tell me what's really going on. So right. when I got there, they said, well, I hope you have a lot of money because we need a new asphalt plant. And I'm like, well, how much is that going to cost? And they said, I don't know, two or three million. <laughs> I'm like, I went home oh, and man. curled up in the fetal position on the couch. It's like, what have I done? I don't have that kind of money. So yeah. all I could do was patch it. You know, it was out of date, worn out. Um, things leaked. Motors need replay. It just needed everything. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any choice but to just buy used equipment, used motors, weld, learn how to weld. I didn't know how to weld at the time. Learn how to weld to fix stuff and just patch it together. And then the newest piece of equipment he owned, he had three dump trucks and two pavers and three or four rollers. The newest piece of equipment was probably 15 or 20 years old. And there yeah. wasn't a battery in one piece of equipment that would start the engine. So oh, first day, I said, how do you start the trucks? And he said, well, the first employee takes his personal car and jumps the first truck, and that truck jumps the next one. And I'm like, but what if you stall out? <laughs> how are you going <laughs> to restart the truck? So I didn't have enough money to go buy batteries for everything. So it was just shock after shock that I bought a bunch of stuff that was really worn out. The previous owner had just milked it and taken everything out he could, um, yeah. and I was uh, – uh, the lucky person that got to buy it. I didn't pay a lot for it, but I got what I paid for. Yeah. Crazy. Well, to go from that to actually be um, successful and looking back, um, what year was that that you, you purchased the, the American Asphalt Company? 1986. 1986. Yeah. Wow. So um, to, to go from there and 35 years later, um, now you're what's what is the size of your company now? Uh, we are stretching to do seventy million dollars in business this year with two hundred employees. So wow. I went from four people to two hundred people, and from a million dollars in sales to seventy million. So our our growth rate looks like a hockey stick. It's pretty yeah. much uh, year over year. We just try to outperform the prior year. That's awesome. And so um, you. So you bought and sold a number of companies since you bought the American Asphalt. And was it called the American Asphalt Company when you bought it? No, it was not. It had a family name attached to it, which I also found out 
quickly that that had little to no value. That yeah. the previous owner would not work overtime, would not work weekends, close for the winter. And when I yeah. met with customers, they're like, "Oh, you guys, you know, you don't you don't go out of your way to help anybody." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, I'm the new guy." Yeah. So I, yeah. I quickly changed the name and I quickly opened in the winter and worked on Saturdays if they wanted me to. I did whatever the customer wanted to build the business. Yeah, um, I actually haven't interviewed him yet, but a friend of mine. Um, built a really large from went from one bakery in California to the whole West coast. And the thing that I heard him say over and over was say yes. Like when the customer asked for something, I would say yes. And I'd figure out how to make it happen. And that's, mm. you know, what let him grow this big, huge bakery company over the years. So um, that's a, that's a great way to, to build customer base. Do, you know, sell them what they want to buy. Don't sell them what you're trying to sell. Yeah, that's great. So you you uh, bought and sold a number of companies over the years. Were those um, strategic acquisitions for the American Asphalt Company, or were they separate businesses, a combination of both? Um, it's a great way for me to grow the business and get people. So I bought up uh, a half a dozen or eight paving companies. So I was able to get the owner to come and work for me. Uh, by relieving him of the 24-hour stress of trying to be small and do it everything yourself, that wears on you after 10 or 20 years. So yeah. to bring them here and put them into my management team, bring their workforce and, and grow and bring their customers along, that's been successful for me for the most part. There was one or two along that they got here and they didn't fit the culture. And basically I bought stuff that I didn't need and sold it after the fact and the people didn't stay. So it wasn't yeah. always successful, but I also bought some allied businesses. Um, I bought a traffic control business that I rented barrels from and those, you know, they look like an upside down trash can. I'm sure you've seen them on the roads. They cost like 55 or $60 to buy and you rent them and you pay a dollar a day to rent them and there's no engine on it. It's just a trash can. And yeah. I quickly thought, you know what, I'm renting them from a vendor and I'm, writing checks every month to rent barrels. And I'm like, I went to her, it was a woman-owned business. I went to her and said, if you ever want to sell, I'd, I'd love to buy your business. I think the business model is really neat. How could you yeah. fail? Yeah. Uh, and if somebody hits one, the guy has to buy it from you. So you don't even lose anything. Uh, so sure enough, a year or two later, she called me and said, you know, take me out to lunch. I'm done. I want to sell my business. And I was able to buy it without negotiating against anybody else. I dealt with her accountant and just worked out a deal and bought the business. So yeah. that was a, a a nice side that it was I was in the same market, but it was an unrelated business that supported me. But um, that's that would really went well. Yeah. Uh, I also bought that mill writing company because the I was putting up another asphalt plant and the cost to erect a plant is about a $250,000 expense. So dealing with one of the vendors, they were in trouble. It was older management. They wanted to get out. They weren't running it well. They said, hey, would you ever consider buying us? And I'm like, all right, I'll, I didn't think about it, but I'll look at it. So I did buy it, uh, ran it remotely, put a manager in there to run it. The first manager didn't work out. The second manager was an all-star. So uh, that went well, and I kept it for five or six years, and then I flipped it and sold it. So that, that worked out. But the the nucleus was I needed to erect my own asphalt plant, so I bought the vendor to do it, and I was the biggest customer. Bring your guys yeah. and put up my plant. And when they were done, then we offered that same service to other people that I knew in the industry so I could bring some value to that deal. Yeah, that's great. So um... – 
one of the things I mentioned in the intro is you've been pretty um, upfront about the fact, even right on your website, you know, talks about the fact that you're, you seek to honor God and your values and how you operate. How did that come about in your life? Um, I was a Vistage member um, for eight or 10 years, and it's a secular organization. And I found over time when people didn't have a problem, they didn't attend. And I was a regular attender. I'm going there to be helped and to give help. And I was dissatisfied that when I needed help and showed up, half the group wasn't there because their businesses were going good, so they didn't bother to attend. At about the same time, God put an invitation in front of me to join C12, and it just got me at the right time to say, what's that about? And I found out C12 is just like Vistage, only they don't bring in guest speakers from around the country, and they base their Bible, or their business teachings on the Bible. And I'm like, let me give that a try. And I yeah. tried it, and they were just starting a group in South Jersey, the first group. So I was a charter member. I signed up for that. And um, within months, it was like, this is perfect because people cool. came because they cared about each other. They weren't there to make an extra dollar. They were there out of loving one another. And that's the environment I wanted to be in. So that was eight years ago. And that environment of being around Christian business owners, being taught biblical principles, gave me the positive encouragement I needed to be bold enough to say out loud and to tell everybody that, hey, I'm a Christian, and I think we ought to run our business that way. Before that, lawyers had me scared. Like if I wanted to pray in front of a meeting, the lawyer's like, oh, Bob, don't do that. You're going to get sued. When I joined C12, I found out nobody's ever been sued yet about praying at a company meeting. So I get the lawyers are paid to be risk averse, but right. that held me back. And when I started praying for in front of company meetings, it got to be expected. Uh, I'm not the only one that prays now. Some of my employees occasionally will pray before a meeting. So it, it, the positive encouragement, and I can go through the list. There's a bunch of things we did, but C12 was definitely the tipping point of God getting in my business where God showing me that it's his business and he was letting me run it while I'm here, a whole different yeah. perspective of looking at things. It's like tithing is, am I giving 10% of my money to God or am I keeping 90% of the money God gave me? When you look at it the other way, it's like, oh, that's scary. It's a whole different perspective. So C12, I give credit for a great program, great encouragement that you can be that you can be a Christian business and be successful. Yeah. And so what are some of the things, what have been some of the expressions of your faith and maybe some of the stories of fruit that you've seen from that as you've made that change over the last eight years? Um, I think the first thing was introducing me to Pat Lencioni, uh, who wrote the book, The Advantage. And uh, I read it and I bought a copy for each of my management team. And together we went through it. And it took us probably six months to read through that book and follow the steps and the very first question he asked you six questions why do we exist and when i read it i couldn't answer the question i'm like how in the world can anybody working for me how can we have alignment if nobody knows why we even do what we do i don't know so (laughs) i thought that was a great exercise and when we boiled it down the reason we exist is to help others and so that's the second most important commandment where we want to love on other people so uh C12 took me to Lencioni. Lencioni taught me the advantage. The advantage taught me core values, and we involved God as one of our core values. So it's right in our values that we honor God in what we do. And that sort of speaks to all the employees. So cascading off of that, we 
put free Bibles in our lobby. Anybody who wants a Bible, take one. And they disappear. I put three out at a time. And every time I walk through the lobby, all of a sudden there's one or two left. And I put another one or two out there. But they just flow out. So we buy dozens of Bibles online, three hours a piece they cost to give yeah. them away. Then we said, well, if we're doing that, when we onboard new employees, we give them an employee manual. Why don't we offer them a Bible, too? So we added that. It's, you don't have to take it. You don't have to be a Christian to work here. But, yeah. you know, here's a free Bible. So then we put a Christian flag over top of our office and over top of our manufacturing plants. Um, then we started a caring committee. So a committee of employees whose job is it to love on other employees that have problems if their car breaks down or they had a house fire, something unrelated to work, they can appeal to the caring committee. We give them a budget every year and say, give that money away. But they discern what's true from what's false. They know their yeah. brother employees with who's scamming us and who really has a need. So they yeah. give the money out. Um, our charitable giving program, the company, we've always given money to charity, but they were my charities. I turned yeah. that around and asked the employees, what charities are you aligned with? What do you volunteer for? What do you do a walkathon for? What's important to you? And every year, six or eight people send me a little email of what they believe in, and we give them a company check payable to their charity, and they deliver it. And they oh, come cool. back with tears in their eyes because they said, I could have never given money to my charity to this level. I went to the meeting and I handed them this check. I got the money for them. And they did. But it yeah. really pays it forward. So yeah. the, the charitable giving was good. We do the uh, marriage encounter. The company will pay for anybody here that has marital problems. And through our chaplaincy, I'm aware that we have marital problems. Every company has probably one in yeah. five people who are struggling. So we pay for a weekend at the hotel, and we pay the tuition for the marriage encounter, and we've had a half a dozen employees go and come back and say, thank you. You know, that, yeah. that saved me a lot of aggravation, if, if not my marriage. Um, there's a Christian camp in the summer locally, and I pay the tuition. So if any employee's kids want to go to camp in the summer, uh, it's called Camp Halawasa. It stands for Hallelujah, What a Savior. Uh, I pay the, the uh, camp council fees to send them. Uh, we have four students on scholarship, partial scholarship to the local Catholic high school that kids that can't afford a Catholic education. Uh, I put up the money for them. Uh, here's a great C12 idea. We put up billboards at Christmas that say joy to the world. So it's not an advertising billboard. It has our name real small in the corner, but it's a full size billboard with the North Star and the three wise men and a camel. It just says joy to the world. And I stole that idea from a uh, C12 member in uh, Virginia. So she sent me the artwork. I called a billboard company. I rented four billboards. I put them up for the month of December. And total strangers call our number and leave us messages like, I went by your billboard and I told my kids that's the real reason for the season. Thank you for putting that up. It's like just a little thing. And it, it costs us $5,000 a year just to spread yeah. the goodwill. But we love putting that stuff out there. And then I guess finally – we're an ESOP company, so I've sold half the business to my employees, and I'm planning. And just to sell real quick, the other. tell tell okay. some of the listeners they won't be familiar with ESOP. Tell them what it is and how you went about it. Uh, it's a it's a uh, employee stock ownership program, is what it's called. But you can figure out the value of your company, and then you can create a transaction where you can shift the ownership to your employees. The employees don't actually pay for it. They continue to earn money, and out of the earnings, you get paid back for your own stock. So typically, they pay 
you have to deal with the trustee because you're selling the business to yourself. So to make it legal with the Department of Labor oversight, a trustee negotiates the price. So it's a weird transaction because you're the buyer and you're sort of the seller. Uh, and you have to be fair about what you're going to charge. They're not going to pay you the top dollar. But one thing they give you that nobody else can is there's tax advantages. You can defer the income until death and then it's forgiven. So you can do a transaction and pay no tax if you sell it to your employees. So it's complicated. You need good advice, but it is a, to me, a Christian giving thing that all the people that helped me build the business are going to be rewarded by owning the business. And then when they retire, they would sell their stock back to the company and have a comfortable retirement, What way more than any 401k would be. So I really felt motivated that I didn't do all this work. I'm just the leader. They're doing the work that as I leave and I don't have any family in the business, uh, that's a way I can hand it off to them. So it was, it was a Christian event. It's monetary. Certainly, I did get tax uh, rewards and I did get money out of it. But I really am leaving with a great feeling that it's an even transition, uh, well-planned succession. The management team's engaged, all the people. I call everybody employee owner now. So if they have an yeah. accident with a truck, it's, well, that costs us both money. <laughs> you own stock yeah. and so do I. That's going to cost money. So it changes the equilibrium and, and the talking point. And it also keeps us free of union intervention. Uh, it's yeah. Everybody's an owner. There's no... Uh, anxiousness to go sign up and be in a labor union. You can deal direct with a company because you are the company. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and obviously not a lot about what you hear um, in business school or different places because you probably did leave a little bit of money on the table right now mm-hmm. to do that. But um, thinking in a kingdom mindset, there's other things that are, you know, more important than money. There's ways that we operate that are different. I, um, I was at a wedding this summer talking to a guy who owned a number of companies in Florida and he, you know, he was talking about exiting and he's like, why would I, what would I do? You know, like, I don't want to leave the company, but I, I still like it. And he was like, so he was going to do an ESOP so that, um, he could turn that over to the, to his employees, still be involved you know, somewhat. Um, but he just, he felt like as a believer, that's what he wanted to do as well was, um, give the company back to his employees in that way. And, um, yeah, really, really great to hear that. It's a whole nother set of problems when you get to the stage of your life where you want to divest the business and men, especially identify with their jobs. So it's so integral that you are the business and it's so emotional. So to stop is a problem that you don't want to just go home and die. You want to do something else. But that legacy of how will you be remembered? And when the numbers get to the point with, well, how much is enough? And what are you going to do with the money? You're going to give it away or, you know, it it changes the whole thought process. It's not easy. I'll tell you that because private equity's out here and they'll give you a big check. But to get the big check, And walk away from your business with your pockets lined with money, but all your people you have no regard for. That whatever happens to them happens. If they flip it in five years, they could all be gone. Their lifetime work, their allegiance to you. I I felt in my heart that's not where I wanted to be. I'd rather be able to come back in five years and get hugs from my people than say, well, I hope it worked out for you. I'm rich and you're not kind of thing. (laughs) So uh, it's it really I really felt that there was a, a Christ calling and sharing back that I have enough. There, I have enough money. My kids will have enough money. Everybody has enough 
we'll have enough money doing an ESOP. I don't need to get the top dollar. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, you talked about part of your legacy being, you know, your relationships with the current employees and, and setting them up well. What do you feel like as you, um, you know, as you enact the ESOP and then you, you think about the future? I know um, you got asked to join a board recently. Um, what are some of the things that you're thinking about for your legacy for the next 10 or 15 years that you want to invest your life in? I have two sons. Uh, they each have their own business, uh, which I had a hand in them getting there. So they're successful in their own right. But I really enjoy spending a day, a month with them. Uh, I travel to their workplace. I hold them accountable. I do a little one-on-one -on -one time, which is sort of the C12 mantra. They they do an, a monthly one-on-one -on -one with the owner and the chair. Uh, my oldest son actually joined a C12 group in Pennsylvania. So he's already ahead of me on his faith journey, but still mentoring. And then I see myself as a continual coach in my own business that I can come back, spend time with key employees and really stay on the, the faith course, the behavioral course, the attitudes, not so much the nut and bolts of how you're doing your job, but how to treat other people, how to, uh, get through conflict, uh, things that I've, I've learned through my life. So I like being on charitable boards. So I'm active there. I, I definitely, I don't want to coast. You had said yeah. that early in your intro. I'm not a coaster. I feel that's almost like cheating as long as yeah. I can get out of bed and contribute, you know, selfishly, I want to feel valued. I want to feel like I'm giving something back and, and I'm earning my way. But yeah. there's so much opportunity to do that, either in my church, in charity boards, in my previous business, or with my children or stepchildren. Uh, there's there's plenty. I'll fill my days without a problem. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think I'm starting in two days. I'm starting something that I've wanted to do for 18 years, which is the, the BAM school, the Business Adventure Mission School. And my thought is, like, I'm 47 as I stand here today. And... I want to spend about the next 30 years doing this, you know, till I'm 77, which um, hopefully is well past the age where I ha have any financial reasons to be working. But um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, till the day I die, I want to be focusing on things that are advancing the kingdom and um, encouraging others to do the same. So fun to, to hear the your way, heart in that. The way the pyramid works is you, can accelerate growth and your value by getting other people to actually do the work. So on your 30-year trajectory, I would hope by the time you're 77, you've created a disciple network underneath you that's actually getting to do it. And your role at 77 is that of the mentor, the coach, the chairman, yeah. not the doer, but you have a lot of guys just like you that are doing it. And exponentially, you're, you know, you're getting done God's work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and I'm hoping that's three or four years from now. Like every, um, our goal is for this first year that every student leaves with the ability to make disciples and be involved in disciple making movements and funding themselves with at least 10,000 a month to be able to do that wherever in the world they want, whatever way they want through business. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping in three or four years that there's a couple other schools that are springing up. Um, so already this year, at least one of the students wants to multiply the model and I'm hoping every year, one or two people go, yeah, we want to start our own version of this somewhere else. So that's, 
that's the goal and and the hope and the dream at this point so you and i have the same dilemma that even though we both want to pass it along and have these other younger people want to take the ball up and run it we're all imperfect humans ourselves included so just the job of mentoring them and making sure that they've you know, learn the lessons of life of how to treat other people, how to motivate other people, how to be honest when you're under stress and pressure is like this calling. So to me, it's growing that group. It's it's continual teaching on and passing down the knowledge of life that I've learned, the mistakes I made and sharing them and best practices and passing them along that hopefully I can keep them from making some of the same silly mistakes that I made along the way. And if they're good leaders of people, the business will take care of itself. Yeah. Well, it was really cool. Like you were saying, well, my, my sons are way ahead of where I you know, was at that point. But I think one of the reasons they're ahead is because they have you helping them. You know what I mean? Like you had to do it on your own. Your, your father wasn't mm-hmm. involved after the heart attack or whatever. And you, you just had to jump in and figure it out. But how cool is that, that your sons had you to be able to you know, that you're launching them earlier than you did it, figuring out those things and, and still involved in their, their lives. And hopefully they're, you know, 20 years down the road, they're saying the same things that, that you're saying and have the same heart now. So that's, you know, that's really cool. It's a prideful moment. And back in my fuel oil days, one of my experts came to me and he was a Christian uh, financial advisor and said, you know, Bob, when you were like, you know, 16, you were awful lucky you had your dad, but now your dad's in the hospital and he's awful lucky he has you. So there's this shifting of the guard. And my kids, I could say the same thing is I did help them get started, but then they ran their own course. They proved themselves. They accelerated. They grew. They didn't, they call me less and less for advice. And now when I ask them, well, did you try this? Did you try that? Like, yeah, already did it. Already did it. I'm like, it's a prideful moment that yes, you learned. Now we can talk about things that I don't know what the answer is either. We just debate it back and forth, but it's, it's a great spot to be as a father. That's great. Well, Bob, it was so fun to just hear your story. I know I was encouraged. I know our listeners will be encouraged just by how you're living out your faith through your business. I think one of the things, as you mentioned, all those different ways that your your company, you and through your company are involved impacting so many people's different lives. I thought, what a great example of how a company really can multiply your impact if that's your desire to do it. Like, you know, if you were an employee, you would never be able to fund all those different things um, you know, the average employee can't go, Oh yeah, five grand at Christmas time to throw up a couple billboards. But because you have a business, um, and actually that was probably a pre-tax expense, Yes, it was. you know, you're able to do these things that are, um, adding value and, um, and just to go back the advantage for those of the listeners that haven't read, uh, Lencioni's book, the advantage, great book. Um, I even, I just was like, oh yeah, it's been a few years since I've read it. I should, I should pick it up again, or at least read my notes on it. Uh, but thanks so much for being a guest on the BAM school podcast. Um, really encouraging and, uh, blessings on you as you continue down the road in investing in others and following after God. Thank you. Thank you for the time to speak freely. And I hope I've encouraged, uh, encouraged some other business owners to, to be bold enough to wear it on your sleeve. And I'm telling you, God will reward you. BAM School. 
facilitating a global, self-funding, disciple-making movement through business. Thanks for tuning in to the BAM School Podcast. Find show notes, free courses, resources, and more at forbam.com.